Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly, and of course during the show we'll be joined by our 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journal turned pundit Derek Dyson. Now we always say a week doesn't pass in football where we're not spoiled for chores with stories to discuss, but this past week has seen a veritable smorgasbord which we'll do our best to unpack. Now back in October we talked to Henry Winter from the Times about the so-called Big Picture Project, the Project Big Picture European Super League, which at the time seemed to have stopped in its tracks. Not so, according to an incendiary 18-page document revealed by the Times a week ago, outlining the very much alive project in detail, prompting a joint press release from FIFA and UEFA, threatening an international black ban against players who participate. To get to the bottom of this, Henry will join us again to see if the heavyweight peak bodies can flex enough muscle to maintain the status quo, or are we looking at an inevitable revolution in European football? It will be absolutely fascinating stuff. And it doesn't end there with a double header from our friends at The Athletic. First, Liam Toomey, who covers the Chelsea beat, will break down for us the past few days at Stamford Bridge, where they're used to sacking coaches, just not club legends like Frank Lampard. Liam will give us the inside word. And while this week's focus is on Europe in the show, we will, of course, wrap up the hour with a bumper week in the A-League with record scores and one of our top clubs showing a pulse. In the second hour, Willem will kick off his second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matilda Central. And the European theme continues with a guest we've been hoping to join us for a while now. She is the foremost voice in journalism on the Arsenal beat, the Athletics' Amy Lawrence, to tell us what Matt Ryan is in for, as well as the club's resurgence, of course, Mesut Ozil's departure and the arrival of the Norwegian Messi. Have the Gunners turned the corner? I'm sure Michael and Derek will have a lot to say on that, as well as Amy. Lots in the Premier League and FA Cup to go through with Dino and Derek, and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time and a topic that the boys are going to have some fun with within the wake of the Lampard sacking when hiring a club legend as coach ends in tears, as it so often does, Michael. Uh, mate, just a massive past uh, week, and uh, and we haven't got to every story just yet even. Hi, Rob. Hi, Willem. A week is a long time in football, uh, and it's uh, proved that to be the case this time. Um, but the A-League really hit its straps this mm. uh, past uh, seven days, didn't it, with fantastic games in your mob, Central mm. Coast, mm-hmm. uh, off to a flyer. Oh, the real deal? Uh, well, it's a bit early to tell, but they're oh. definitely laying, uh, laying down a challenge well, to everybody. Well, when you beat Sydney FC, mate, that's uh, set yeah, up a take notice time. Absolutely. And obviously Europe all is not well in Europe with uh, the discussion with Henry Winter coming up about FIFA laying down the law to the, the big European clubs. So I'll be interested to see what uh, Henry's And we finally got Amy as well. That. Amy, looking forward to that. And Arsenal only four points behind Liverpool, in case you didn't know. Willem, you've got some news. <laughs> I do, guys. Great to be here. And Rob, your man, Alan Stajic, has a new name this week. Alan Stajic has been revealed. Uh, we now will refer to him as. So, yeah, a huge A-League wrap coming up later in the program. But first, guys, Football Australia and the professional leagues are reportedly weighing up a bid to host the group stages of the Asian Champions League. The ACL's group phase will be played in a hub from April 21 until May 7, following the success of the Doha hub last year. It's believed the AFC would like to host the Eastern Zone separately, and an Australian hub would alleviate logistical challenges for our teams. And guys, would you believe the Champions League is about to expand to 40 teams, which seems a strange time to do so to me, Michael. That means we could have up to 19 forward signs in Australia, which would be a huge undertaking and possibly a little bit insensitive to our foreign travellers stranded abroad, but... 
it would be fantastic if that could come off. That would be some of the best Asian engagement, probably since the 2015 Asian Cup. It would be sensational. Obviously, Asia's looking at Australia as a potential host for this event because we have such a good COVID record. However, um, I understand from my contacts in Asia that the uh, the 14-day quarantine requirement that the clubs uh, would need to agree to is uh, probably going to be a stumbling block. Simon Hill has implored A-League clubs not to sign an exclusive deal with Foxtel, claiming they've silenced he and others in the game from broadcasting it properly. On his podcast, Simon said the game can't afford to be dictated to by one overbearing partner in such a brutal fashion going forward. On a personal note, Hill said he was told his opinions on the game weren't wanted. He was barred from writing for the website before being removed. Guys, it's coming the same week the PFA's Kate Gill called Foxtel out for allowing their W League coverage to slip below professional standards following numerous technical glitches this season. And I think anyone who's watched the A League and the W League over the last even five years will be aware of the sort of degradation of, of the coverage. And you just wonder, Rob, where that $10 million grant from the government has gone that was for covering women's nation underrepresented sports because for mine it certainly doesn't look like it's gone to the W League coverage. Well, when you see the kind of technical issues that are happening in uh, professional broadcasting, you do ask that question, don't you? Because, uh, you know, that's a, it's a fair chunk of money and if it's meant to be going to the right places, then, uh, you know, we oughtn't to be seeing these things. We don't see them in other sports. They're very rare, uh, major technical issues, but they just seem to be happening every week. And it's not just in the W League. We'll remember that game where uh, we were watching we were all watching at the same time and you know messaging each other the uh, the Sydney um, Wellington Wellington match yeah where there was a, a major glitch when uh, when a, a goal was scored so I know Edge you've got strong opinions on this Simon's a very good friend of the program he's been uh, a great uh, supporter of our show for um, you know the entire time we've been on air we we do refer to him as the voice of football and he still is in this country he's synonymous with some of the great moments uh, in the game and when Simon talks uh, everyone who is interested in the future of football in this country ought to listen. Well, I think it's um, regardless of the fact that he's a friend of the program and uh, uh, Simon and I go way back, regardless of all of that, if you're serious about covering football in Australia mm. and you sack Simon Hill, mm-hmm. uh, that for me says it all. Because uh, if you're serious about covering football in Australia, Simon Hill has to be your number one commentator because he's the authority voice. Um, it's the brand recognition that we all we all have, um, and we only have to look at the uh, recent exploits of the Socceroos around the world to uh, hear his voice, which will live on for decades and centuries to come. Matt Ryan has sealed a lone move away from Brighton, joining boyhood club Arsenal for the rest of the campaign. Ryan was on the bench for Arsenal's FA Cup and league matches against Southampton this week, and is for now biding his time behind Bernd Leno. And interesting to hear not only Amy Lawrence, but Derek's thoughts later on on how far Matt is from maybe taking the gloves for Arsenal at some stage. The latter match against Southampton also saw a Premier League debut for the only other Aussie in the English top flight. 19-year-old Caleb Watts played the final 16 minutes off the bench. And wasn't that a fantastic sight, Rob, seeing Caleb come off? The only other action I've seen of Caleb was at the Under-17 World Cup a couple of years ago when he was quite dominant under Trevor Morgan. So this is exciting. It is exciting, really exciting to have a young player come into the uh, the Premier League at that age. It's uh, great memories of uh, Harry Kuehl and those sorts of players at that age. And when uh, I think I heard a statistic that there were more Kiwis in the top flight than there were Aussies, <laughs> I was pleased to see that record corrected in the past week. And a final one for me. Another former Socceroos manager has this week passed away, with Slovakian Dr Josef Venglos passing mm. aged 84. Venglos began coaching in Australia with Sydney Prague in the 60s and took charge of Australia for three matches in 67. He went on to a really diverse, globe-trotting style career. He managed Czechoslovakia, Slovakia, Malaysia 
and Oman. And at club level, some huge clubs, Lisbon, Aston Villa, Celtic, Fenerbahce and JAF United in Japan. And a bit of trivia, guys, he was the first foreign-born manager to coach in the Premier League when he was at Villa in 95. All right, well, well done. Uh, it's a big, big show. We're trying to leave plenty of time to discuss uh, the important matters with our guests, so stick around because after the break, we're going to talk to The Times' Henry Winter, the chief football writer, about the... Project Big Picture. It's back again. We want to get to the bottom of it. Stick around. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now, back in October last year, we uh, we talked about the Project Big Picture and when we had um, Henry Winter from The Times on the show, it seemed like uh, it had stopped in its tracks. Uh, but uh, as Henry's paper reported a week ago, not so. Uh, an 18-page document was revealed in The Times uh, to be uh, a substantial background piece on just what um, the, uh, the the mega clubs were planning, and uh, to discuss that further, and uh, whether the heavyweight uh, peak bodies have got enough muscle to flex to maintain the status quo, or you know, are we heading down the inevitable revolution of European football? We welcome back Henry Winter. How are you, Henry? I'm good, Rob. How are things in your glorious country? Yeah, mate, not too bad. Um, we got um, yeah, putting our place by India in the uh, in the, the test, so we're we're looking forward to to um, England coming out. Um, where hopefully we can uh, try to set things back to rights, mate. Do you know what? As a cricket fan, I just thought how brilliant that was for the game. Mm, you yeah. just love to see competitive. You know, Australia always going to bounce back. Yeah. India, a strong team. England are doing well at the moment. So actually, I think uh, I'm, I'm a football man, but it's great mm. to see cricket in a, in a good place. And as an Englishman, you might be surprised to hear that there are a lot of Australians, uh, a lot of my mates and brothers included, were actually uh, barracking for the story. So yeah, I agree with you, mate. So we're here to talk football, though. And um, and, and when we talked to you last time, we were sort of hoping that, uh, that this uh, Project Big Picture had been, um, you know, shut back in Pandora's box. But as uh, a box of that name uh, tends to do, um, it can't get shut forever. And it seems uh, eerily like uh, uh, days gone by where we hear rumours and smoke comes from stories about uh, about uh, uh, revolutions in in a, in, a, in a sport, and uh, and it eventually happens. Do you have that inevitable sense of of gloom about this, uh, Henry? Am I being too pessimistic? No, I think it's important that uh, you're debating it, that fans are very much against it. I think there's always an element with when you sort of read these stories, and there's no smoke without fire. Clearly, there are meetings going on. But whenever these, these stories do surface, you know that within about six months, UEFA, the governing body of European football, will announce a tweak to the Champions League, which will generate more money, which will keep the sort of sporting integrity. So there is that sort of access to all that you can qualify uh, from your own domestic league. Um, I mean, we saw it in 98 when I've been, God, I've been doing this job for about, what, 35 years now. And this seems to be a European Super League story every sort of three, four years. But I mean, 98, it surfaced and the Champions League was f- almost formed pretty much on the back of that. Real Madrid started talking about it uh, a decade later, 2016. Again, there were more talks about it. Uh, the Champions League was expanded, again, generating more money for 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 the big guns. And then we got it again last year, late last year, uh, and then again early this year. And surprise, surprise, your way for a talking about maybe tweaking the Champions League, uh, expanding it a little bit more. But to keep that, because that's the key thing. I mean, that's why I, I love American sports, but I don't understand this concept that you can't have promotion and relegation. 
you know, that is the essence of the English footballing pyramid up and down. Mm -hmm. It should be the essence of European football that you can have a team out of nowhere can actually through good management, good coaching, a few good players can actually have a decent run in Europe. And it shouldn't just be the reserve of the big guns. Yeah, exactly. We agree with you 100 percent as we fight the the similar battle to um, introduce promotion and relegation into our very own A-League. It's an ongoing conversation. So for our listeners who aren't as privy to the detail of, of this document, and this is what worries those of us who obviously don't want this to happen, is, is that very level of detail in that 18-page manifesto. So £310 million each to join the competition, the, the big six English clubs, uh, along with the likes of Real Madrid, AC Milan, PSG, uh, German clubs... Uh, uh, and um, 20 teams in total altogether, uh, 3.5 billion startup from sponsorship, uh, and uh, and again, as you say, no promotion relegation. That seems to be the big concern here: is the level of detail and the um, and and the people that that are involved in this conversation. Real Madrid's uh, president Florentino Perez uh, involved, Andrea Agnelli, uh, his uh, counterpart at Juventus. It seems to be a genuinely serious discussion, uh, and uh, and it, you know it's an irresistible force about to meet an immovable object. Well, it is, a, it is a definite conversation, particularly on the back of the pandemic. And if you've got owners, particularly, say, like Manchester United, Liverpool, you've got owners over in America who are sort of looking at, uh, looking at a broad range of their sort of business interests and how they can maximise uh, most income, whether it's from a sports franchise or whether it's from so some of their sort of commercial property business work that, that you know, that they've got. They are seeking to, to generate as much money as they can because the pandemic has absolutely hit everyone, large and small. So Manchester United, Liverpool, you look at the four other English clubs involved, Manchester City, Chelsea, Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal. What two of those? Uh, well, so certainly one of those, Scott, an, an American owner, uh, Arsenal with Cronky. They will again look at the the financial element because they know how politically. I mean, you know, the fans and the media reacted immediately and angrily when Spurs tried to furlough, uh, basically sort of tried to take government relief during the pandemic uh, for for their workers. Uh, Liverpool did it and then, you know, had to bid a hasty retreat on it. But these big clubs are hemorrhaging money at the moment without fans coming in. Um, So they're trying to get that money back. I mean, I think they're, they're, they're losing hundreds of millions. So this prospect of it, and a particular, maybe if you've got American owners who are used to the American franchise system, the no promotion, no relegation is almost a default setting for them. And they probably think it's slightly quaint that uh, Sheffield United can come through the, uh, through the divisions and then give Manchester United a, a difficult time, as they did last night over here in the UK. So, yeah... I still don't think it will go through, and I think it was interesting the uh, the other day when FIFA came out pretty categorically with all the, the the six confederations around the world and said that basically anyone who plays in it, any club who plays in it, they will become outlaws. Now we understand in the world of lawyers, and there've been some one or two recent cases on this. Uh, the lawyers will fight for that. The clubs will hire the finest lawyers, and they will fight it because there's so much money at stake. And I think this will end up in a in the court of law. But at the moment, as it stands, FIFA in their statement last week have effectively said that any Manchester United or Liverpool player who um, whose club joins the European Super League as proposed, they won't be able to play in the European Championships or the World Cup. Big stakes. This is box to box. We're talking to Henry Winter from the Times about the uh, re-emergence of the European Super League edge. 
Henry, one stakeholder group um, that I'm interested to, to know whether you have any intelligence about how they're thinking, they haven't made any real public statements about this, is the players' unions around the world. And obviously the players um, stand to be one of the most significant financial benefactors of a Super League if it was to be a step change in commercial revenues for these clubs because ultimately uh, most of those revenues go through to the players. But uh, do you know or have you heard anything about where the players' unions might be in relation to this? I mean, I think they're sort of biding their time and looking at it. I can certainly talk on, not on behalf of, but having talked to um, a few players on this off the record, you know, they're, they are, you know, they will get well paid whether they're in a European Super League or whether they're in the, uh, in the normal Champions League. They might get another 30,000, 40,000 pounds a week because what the clubs want to do is generate the money, the 310 million pounds a year to cover the losses from the pandemic and the sort of general losses. If the players then start coming in and the agents will absolutely be on speed dial to the owners, will say, well, hang on a sec, we want a bigger slice of the cake then I think there'll be tensions there but and the owners will say, listen, we've got to cover our losses here. We're not going to give big wages. If the players aren't going to get sort of stratospherically uh, bigger wages, then really what's in it for them? And actually talking to players, and you'll find a lot of the players at the top, they're so wealthy anyway. What they want, the silverware, that they it's about silver, it's not about gold. They want... They want to do well in the, you know, see someone like Jordan Henderson. Jordan Henderson is completely committed to Liverpool Football Club. He represents them brilliantly. I'm going to Spurs tonight. I touch wood for Liverpool's perspective. He'll be back tonight. He's not a man who's driven by another 30 grand a week more by the possibility of being in a closed shop European Super League. He wants to win the Champions League, which he's done. He's lifted the trophy, wants to be crowned the King of Europe. But also, he wants to do well internationally with Liverpool, particularly at this sorry with England, particularly at this stage of his career. And that means competing in the European Championships. He doesn't want to get a letter from FIFA saying because your club's involved in the European Super League, we are rescinding your invitation to the European Championships, and to the, which will come from UEFA and then via FIFA to the, to the World Cup in Qatar next year. Um, touch wood England qualified you can never always tell with England um, so the, the players at the top I can't see they'd really be inspired by European Super League also I mean look you work, you work with sportsmen and women these are competitive creatures they want the challenge and a lot of them also have come up from with respect slightly smaller clubs Jordan Henderson's first club and still his first love along with Liverpool is Sunderland Sunderland the lingering two divisions down. Sunderland, maybe, what, let's go back to the early 70s, go back before then, they would be considered um, European Super League potential in terms of their stature as a club. So people respect the fluctuations in, uh, in, in form. So I don't think many of the major players, the footballers, would actually be that inspired by a European Super League, particularly, and this has been pointed out on countless occasions, if you've got a boring mid-table game with nothing with nothing riding on it between, okay, between two European superpowers, you know, what's the sort of sporting challenge in that? And as I say, the, the players at the top aren't completely driven by money. They're also driven by sort of sporting challenges. Uh, Henry, uh, you touched on it before. I mean, the, 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 the wild card is just the financial situation that some of the clubs are facing at the moment. KPMG should a report recently suggesting that uh, the European leagues uh, stood to lose seven billion US dollars uh, in the COVID era, um, with some assessments around that that space. What are you hearing about how tough some clubs are doing it, and um, and you know is the underlying financial 
um, the performance of clubs now becoming a, a real concern. The games behind closed doors because of the pandemic. I think I've been to about 100, 110 of them. And you go into the grounds and spurs, you have to park in a certain area, you have to fill out, the, and this is just as a journalist, I'm only going into the amber zone, I'm not going into the red zone where the players go, where the medical protocol and the testing is even more strict. The clubs are doing absolutely everything to guard against an outbreak of COVID within their own bubbles. We've seen it on occasion, but actually football, certainly at the elite end in the UK, has in England, has, has, has kept going. And the reason behind that and the reason why the owners have dedicated COVID officers everywhere. And if I'm sitting in the press box, at a socially distanced press box, actually, they now stick us in the, uh, in, in, in the stands where the fans would be with no one around. If my mask slips below my nose, I'm being filmed, a steward will come across, even if it's just you know slipped down because I've had a sip of water or whatever, they will tell you the clubs are leaving absolutely nothing to chance on COVID. And that comes back to one thing. Obviously, they want to complete the league, but they want to uh, fulfill their television deals because it all comes down, as so often in football, to, uh, to money. So they're huge stakes here. And that obsession with money, particularly amongst certain owners, is why, they are, is why they keep sort of turning back to this. But I come back to the central point. Are their players prepared to be outlaws? I mean, that, okay, they might, the lawyers might take them to court, but if you're telling Jordan Henderson, if you're telling you know, Marcus Rashford at Manchester United, if you're telling Harry Kane at Tottenham Hotspur that he can't go to the European Championship because the owners of his club wants a European Super League, I think the players would revolt. Yeah, Henry, I think every uh, serious-minded football fan around the world would, would 100% agree with you on that score. And, uh, you know, uh, if it's at the Olympics, it's a gold medal. What's the gold medal worth? It's it's the history. Um, it's the, uh, the the allure. It's the aspiration. Um, yeah, money comes and goes, but uh, but the glory of, of victory in one of these top-flight competitions uh, remains forever. Henry, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be watching this story very closely. We read your articles every week over here. There's plenty of subscribers to the times in Australia. I know that for sure. I'm one of them and uh, I enjoy your, your copy uh, every time you uh, you go to print, mate. So uh, we wish you well and uh, and we hope that um, our uh, our friends over in the UK and, and the rest of Europe will, will start to reflect some of the, you know, the, the, the um, sunshine, uh, literally as well as uh, figuratively, that we're seeing um, in Australia as, as you come out the other end of COVID. My pleasure, Rob. Stay safe. I'm looking out at the moment over snow and a country mm -hmm. in lockdown. So uh, the image of uh, your great country enjoying the sunshine. Well, um, anyway, stay safe and we'll catch up soon. And when you get here, Henry, we will host you. We'll take you to the MCG, the SCG. Mate, it'll be our absolute pleasure. Henry Winter from The Times. Uh, he's a very generous man with his time and, uh, and an authority on all things football. We'll stick around. We are going to uh, cross over to, uh, uh, well, back over to the UK. We're going to talk to Liam Toomey from The Athletic about... Uh, Frank Lampard and and how that all went down. Thomas Tuchel, uh, the uh, the ruthlessness of uh, Roman Abramovich yet again writ large. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, of this all. is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport, broadcasting across Australia. We know we have uh, many listeners around the world who listen to the podcast, and a, a cheerio to you as well. It's a real Eurocentric program today. We've just spoken to Henry Winter about the. Uh, 
well, you know, the ongoing discussion around a possible European Super League. But the other big, big story of the week was uh, the sacking of Frank Lampard. And uh, as Henry said in his copy, um, that uh, Rom- Abramovich uh, will be known as the man who shot Bambi and a bloke who covers the beat down at Stanford Bridge is Liam Toomey. We welcome him to the show. How are you, Liam? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. And uh, when we were messaging during the week, um, I, I said, who would have thought, you know, four managers in the, in the past four years alone? I know the boys, um, you know, whack me every time I mention I, I was down at Stanford Bridge, but, uh, you know, that's the fourth manager. And who would, I, I just couldn't believe um, that, uh, you know, the, 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 the great story of Frank Lampard coming back uh, uh, ended um, so soon. Uh, I mean, I guess I should have said I, I do believe it, but... Um, uh, it's happened, and um, and the aftermath uh, is, um, you know, right in front of our eyes. Yeah, and I think it's pretty clear that this one hurts uh, a, a big section of the Chelsea fan base a lot more than any previous sacking. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is obviously Frank Lampard's legacy as a player, his icon status, his connection um, with the fans over more than a decade of winning everything there was to win. But also, I think, because of what his sacking represents, um, I think it, it, it kind of represents the the sort of final death of of hope among the fan base that the, the club could go in a different direction um, and that there could be a kind of coach-led project at the club um, and, and a real sort of manager style culture change um at Stamford Bridge and at Cobham and you know when Lampard came in I think there was a there was a lot of optimism inside Chelsea as well as outside Chelsea that as well as um being successful on the pitch they could maybe do things in a slightly different way um and of course the integrating the academy and and the the best players from that sort of conveyor belt of talent um, was all part of that but now it just seems that as though um, after one transfer window of of spectacular spending um, Chelsea are back to what they've always done uh, which is which is kind of hiring and firing managers until they find one that works for a little while and, and puts them in a position to to compete for major trophies and they've been able to compete for major trophies with this model so there's no reason they won't be able to again but I think there's there's just a bit of cynicism on the part of the fan base as if something a little bit more emotional has been lost here. Liam, um, uh, Chelsea fans who subscribe to The Athletic in Australia will be very familiar with your copy and uh, they all love it. Um, a couple of them said to me today when uh, I mentioned that uh, we were speaking to you that uh, could I get you to reflect on Lampard in two stages, effectively pre that uh, splurge that you mentioned um, and then post the splurge? Because um, pre the recruitment of uh, those more experienced players, um, uh, Lampard was having some success with that conveyor belt of young talent and uh, there was a real vibe that Chelsea... Um, as you said, was going to go down a different path. Um, how do you compare the the two stages of his coaching tenure at the club um, when he was working with those younger players because he had to versus um, the more experienced ones, which the critics say that he couldn't get enough out of? Yeah, well, I think that is um, the clear dividing line that will always exist when you look back on Lampard's tenure because he was essentially tasked with doing two different jobs. Um 
last season's job was a job unlike any other Chelsea coach had faced in the Abramovich era, given that they had the the, hand, the transfer ban, Eden Hazard's departure, um, the squad being in a real sort of transitional phase. Expectations were kind of artificially lowered um, from from the level that they are usually at, and there were slightly different um, expectations for where for the way that Lampard should go go about things. And and he still made a conscious choice um, and quite a courageous choice. It's always a courageous choice at Chelsea to empower and establish youth. Um, and and he did that, and he'll he'll always deserve credit for that. And I think Chelsea will be reaping the rewards of that for for many many years, both in terms of millions saved in the transfer market, um, and also in terms of what the likes of Mason Mount, Reese James, Callum Hudson Odoi, Tammy Abraham, and and more can can give them on the pitch. Um, so I think Lampard did a good job last season overall. Um, in terms of laying those long-term foundations, getting Chelsea into the top four. Okay, it was a lower bar than usual in terms of points, um, but he did get them there and he got them to the FA Cup final. They didn't win it uh, and it was disappointing, I guess, to lose to Arsenal, who were a team kind of in their own sort of identity crisis and transition. Uh, but in terms of the the profile of Chelsea squad, they it would have been a bit ahead of schedule. This year was kind of welcome to the real Chelsea job, um, the kind of Chelsea job that we've we've been familiar with under Abramovich. And I think it was one that Lampard, I think it was one that any coach would have found extremely difficult um, with the with the short turnaround between seasons with basically five or six new starters, not just signings. Aside from the three promoted clubs in the Premier League, Chelsea were pretty much the only new team coming into the new season. And I think that showed on the pitch quite a lot. Lampard never managed to to find a combination that worked consistently. Really, I mean, they they had the unbeaten run, but that they didn't they didn't beat any um, really good teams in that time, and uh, and injuries also disrupted his attempts to try and get some consistency. And in the end, um, I think belief was lost in his ability to to deliver a kind of coherent vision for this team both from the dressing room and from the boardroom uh, and and it got to the stage towards the end of this month where um, his position was was untenable you're listening to box to box on nine radios nts news talk sport we're talking to the athletics liam toomey about the sacking of lampard um out the door goes frank lampard and in the door comes thomas tuchel and critics of his time at psg suggest that uh he was um he wasn't true to himself, that he, he favoured um, relationships in the change room over system, that the, the team lacked any um, patterns of play. It was pretty predictable. It was give it to uh, Kylian Mbappe and, uh, and Neymar. Um, what does Thomas Tuchel as a brand and, as a, um, and, and his approach, you know, what are you, Liam, expecting from him in the short term and longer term at Chelsea? Yeah, that's quite interesting, isn't it, that narrative that, um, pervaded his time at PSG because I think it's an accusation that Lampard often faced towards the end of his time at Chelsea was that there wasn't necessarily a clear pattern of play um, or or kind of coherent, distinctive identity. Um, I, I think Chelsea are expecting more along the lines of uh, sort of Borussia Dortmund, Tuchel, 
um, and and Mainz Tuchel, someone who can who can really impose, um, you know, a tactical structure and principles on this very talented group of players. There is no Kylian Mbappe or Neymar in this Chelsea squad. That yes, there are strong personalities. There are um, players that you know were challenging for Lampard to manage, but there's no one of that stature that would require um, Tuchel to kind of compromise his ideals or you know or his his kind of beliefs in how to manage a team and I think that's probably part of the reason why he agreed to take the job um, because he he sees the right balance of elite talent that he can work with but elite talent that will allow him to coach them uh, and and so I think that that was the attractive thing for Tuchel he initially wanted to take um, a job in the summer and give himself a full pre-season but as he said in his interviews uh, since taking the job he, he felt that he couldn't miss this opportunity once Chelsea made it clear that you know they were going to make their decision on Frank Lampard now and they were going to make their change now rather than wait he wasn't sure he would get this chance again and so he, he sees it as a huge opportunity to come in and, and be successful immediately he knows he's being judged on his immediate success um, but I think he also wants to try and build something a little bit more substantial um, this season and next. Yeah, well, uh, all Chelsea fans out there around the world are hoping that he does. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that he does have up his uh, sleeve in terms of uh, not only... Um, his ability to communicate is his ability to communicate across multiple languages. I heard him uh, post-match uh, this morning, and uh, he um, he was every bit as fluent as Jurgen Klopp. And uh, he obviously uh, has uh, um, his native language in German with uh, the, the German players in the squad, and uh, and would have uh, at least a reasonable capacity to speak French too, coming from PSG. So uh, he's got a, a lot uh, up his sleeve and a lot of advantages. But as we all know, Roman uh, has a limited supply of patience, doesn't he, Liam? And um, and he want to start winning pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think um, I think we've kind of been in a little bit of a cycle, really, over the last few years with Abramovich, where I don't think expectations were quite as high um, in Maurizio Sarri's season, um, given that you know the the squad had lost Diego Costa, Eden Hazard was clearly on the way out the door, Thibaut Courtois had left, um, and then of course Lampard had his own unique circumstances. But now I think. We've seen the return in terms of Chelsea board level to the kind of expectations um, that were there in the, more in the Antonio Conte era, mm. where Chelsea believe this squad is capable of challenging for major silverware. Um, they didn't they didn't necessarily expect to win the title this year, but they they were expecting to be a lot closer to Liverpool, and Manchester City, and not be worrying about top four. Um, top four finishes and Champions League participation and that's part of the reason why Lampard um, was sacked when he was uh, so Tuchel will be expected to get them back into that discussion um, at the very least he'll be expected to to compete hard in the FA Cup and Champions League this season and then I think next year he will be expected to challenge for the title because that that is the standard that, that Chelsea are, are very very keen to return to and and beyond that they also want to become really relevant in European football again they haven't won a Champions League knockout tie in since 2014 and that is a huge huge gap for a club of Chelsea's resources and ambition
Yep, and uh, a, a lot of silverware over the last decade or, or so as well, which um, obviously uh, that's his job to uh, add to that. Liam, thank you so much for joining us. We're really uh, grateful for your time and uh, we'll watch with great interest to see whether Thomas Tuchel becomes uh, the next great continental manager in the, in the Premier League. Thanks, guys. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It sure will. We will watch that space. Liam Toomey from The Athletic on box to box All right, stick around. We're going to uh, spend some time on the domestic game. Uh, we're talking A-League after the break on box to box box to box Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Guys, I always enjoy getting together for the show, talking football and having a yarn about... Uh, the stories that are going on domestically and around the world. But um, this uh, first hour of the show has been a lot of fun talking to Henry and Liam. It's only going to get better talking to Amy after the break. But we can't ignore domestic football um, because it's been, as you said, off the top edge, uh, uh, a big week in uh, in the local game. Well, our league's arrived, hasn't it? It's finally mm, cranked mm, itself into mm. action and we've had some fabulous games, Willem. Yeah, we have. Well, before we go to Willem, I want to talk to you about Chemist Warehouse, oh, Michael. I was there yesterday. Yes, well, we always... Oh, Support Chemist Warehouse. That was Willem that time, not Michael. Make 2021 your year at Chemist Warehouse with the uh, harmonies in the background from the Chemist Warehouse singers. Right now, get a massive 35% off the entire Wagner Vitamins range. That includes Wagner CoQ10 150 100 capsules. Very good for your health. Just $22.09. Super Bio Magnesium 100 tablets. Only $9.09. And Wagner Glucosamine and Chondroitin Plus. Good for the joints for all the aching footballers out there. $19.94. Fish oil, $1,000. 400 capsules, 974, and also new to the range, vitamin D3 1000 IU 500 capsules, just $15.59 from Wagner. And turmeric, of course, 3,333, double three, double three, plus 100 capsules, only $12.99. Stock up and save with 35% off the everyday low prices on Wagner vitamins. Always read the label. Follow directions for use. The promo excludes Wagner professionals and body science range. The great savings are everyday, Willem. Of course, it's at... Chemist Warehouse. Correct. A-League. This, I believe, Rob, is going to be the longest round in A-League history with the most matches mm. played. We're going to have a full complement of six and a midweek match as well, which is exciting. And it's going to start on Friday night. It's going to be at Parramatta, Western Sydney, hosting Newcastle Jets. Now, Mike, we've already seen these two teams play this season. The Newcastle Jets were pretty good value, but ended up going down 2-1 three weeks ago. Uh, and I thought the Jets last week really played Wellington off the park for large parts of that game. Valentino Ewell with a beautifully taken goal. Early on, Roy Donovan got a second and they were largely in control before Wellington got one back. So despite the fact that they had four losses or five, almost five losses to start the season, uh, they are well and truly in the competition, the Jets. If you're a Jets fan, you'd be scratching your head because you would have looked at all of those games they've played and thought, gee, we're actually going all right with a very skinny squad. Um, their best team is very competitive and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll want to do well against Western Sydney again because of the situation with the coach, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, And they, don't forget that first game, Newcastle-Western Sydney. Western Sydney took a long time to get on top and uh, Newcastle were probably a bit unlucky that night. So I'm expecting a very competitive game. We might see young Aussie signing Luca Perzo in for the Jets. Uh, Apostolos Stamatolopoulos has also come across from Western United. For the Wanderers, uh, Ziegler might return from injury. On Saturday, we're going to have a triple header starting at Amy Park between Western United and Melbourne Victory. It's a bit wrong to say that this is a Western United home game. I'm not a fan of that at all. Uh, both coming off pretty dramatic wins in their last ones, though. Who could forget? Down at Geelong, Western United 5-4 over Perth. And a quick word for Dylan Pereus. It took a week, uh, longer than it normally does for the box-to-box magic, 
to Sean. He did, and they were proper strikers finishers, Rob. He came on for Bezart Barissa after an hour, and the first one was a header, and the second one he brought it down against the defender and rifled it in. So he's, he's a highly versatile player. It's interesting to see where his career is going to land. Yeah, it's great to see, and uh, and you know players like him uh, are uh, the 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 hopeful beacons of, of football in this country in this season, where the A League is, is, as Edge said, starting to, to really take some shape and show some great entertainment value, and and that's what we need to see. Um, you know, the, these uh, the potential of players like him um, re- really uh, coming through. So no, no, hats off to him. And I'm with you, Willem. This is not to, even though it's just scheduled as a Western. Uh, United home game. It just seems a bit odd that they're playing games at Amy Park. Having said that, we should say well done, um, Planning Minister in Victoria, Richard Wynne, uh, during the week approved key planning amendments for Western United Stadium at Tarnit out in the Wyndham City. So congratulations to them. I understand it's a pretty significant milestone because it involved significant changes to the proposed uh, development in that area. So well done to Western United. Let's hope they start to turn some sods of soil very soon. And for the victory, they saved a bit of a flat week with uh, a Jake Brimmer masterclass at the death there to uh, claim their first points. Well, of you the were season. there, Willem, and there. watching it on the the, the tube, uh, it looked pretty dire. And mm. uh, and then you know that equaliser, it was like Christmas had come. And then when yep. they went ahead, it was. Uh, there were yeah. a few fans in a pretty dark place around the eighty-five minute mark. I do have concerns over a front line of Cruz, Rojas, and Lawton. Obviously, Cruz and Rojas, fantastic players mm. at the level, but there's no natural finisher there. So I think goals are going to be hard to come by. Moving on to Macarthur and Sydney FC at Campbelltown. Few issues for Sydney, also struggling up front. Costa Barbarousas is playing just about as poorly as he's played mm. in his 12 years in the A-League, wondering if maybe Patrick Wood or Geordie Swivel might partner Trent Bahadja this week. MacArthur coming off a 13-day break, and I expect it's probably time to see Banat and Markel Suzayeta start and play 90 minutes for them. Uh, yet to get a read on where they're going to fall. We've seen some thrilling stuff. We've seen some dour stuff. What do you expect this week, Michael? It's a huge game, that one, because both teams uh, on paper have quality, and we know that uh, replacing Alfie LaFondra was always going to be difficult, but they've got Bobo in the wings. And still a while off. Yeah, still a while off, but they'll be hoping that he is the answer to their needs in the longer term. But but MacArthur, a couple of uh, upset results for them throughout the course of their first matches in the A-League, and we want to see a little bit more from them. I imagine the pressure's on them this week. The final game on Saturday will be Brisbane Raw against Adelaide at 9.15. Of course, 8.15 in Queensland at Dolphin Stadium. They're the quiet achievers, Brisbane, so far. They're fifth, but they have a game in hand on everyone in the top four, so they could well be top, and they'd want to bank these points. Adelaide bounced back from a 5-3 loss to Perth. They tightened up a little bit to beat the victory 1-0. Mo Torre, of course, the story out of that one, Michael, 16 years old, his first start, and paid Carl Viet back in spades. Carl Viet said that uh, he's the best player at that age he's ever seen. And um, the raps on Mo are just absolutely sensational. You only got to watch uh, 20 minutes of that game to see the athleticism for a 16-year-old. Just you, if, if he does all the right things with um, the development of his body over the next three or four years, he's going to be uh, a serious beast. And let's just see what uh, transpires for the young fellow because he's got the world in front of him. And if you listen to the interviews, he's super impressive as well and that family is obviously super impressive and there is such strong refugee migrant stories uh, coming out of the the youth system in Adelaide and all all props to them and let's hope uh, he can continue to uh, set the A-League alight at 16 years of age. Well done Mo. And another refugee family coming out of Shepparton in Victoria is of course the Quolls. Alu Quolls been central to the Mariners uh, success this season. They've signed his younger brother Gareng as well. Two games on the Sunday featuring of course the Mariners starting in Gosford. They're hosting Wellington 
Brisbane, and this is top versus bottom, uh, Rob, funnily enough. Mm. Mariners have looked really hungry and, and solid as well, and we commented after their win last week, Rob, that it looks like they're all friends, they're all mates, they're Spirit. loving their time yeah, out on the yeah, pitch, and yeah, yeah. that's when you get your best football, I suppose. Yeah, exactly, um, and uh, and some of the, the stories of the culture um, that we might sort of dig a little deeper into. Uh, that um, yeah, Don't it, underestimate, sorry, Rob, to interrupt, the power of Matt Simon. Uh, mm. I had a... Uh, a coffee with Terry McFlynn, who was just talking about mm. the influence of Matt Simon in, in the group. Uh, he's mm. just such a wonderful guy. Everyone loves him, and he's obviously Mariners through and through, isn't he? He is, except for when he went to Sydney for a little while, but that's mm. all right. And then the final game on Sunday afternoon at Amy Park at 6.40 is Melbourne City against Perth Glory. City are coming off a 15-day spell, and they won't have Aidan O'Neill for three months, which is a massive loss, mm. not only for Paddy Kisnobo, but for the Olly Roos as well. Perth, in my opinion, probably could have had six points from their two games in Victoria, but they don't have any, so mm. that'll be frustrating. And then on Wednesday, we have a game between Central Coast and Melbourne City, Rob. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as Edge sort of backdated the uh, box-to-box um, uh, lucky sort of uh, rabbit's foot, um, it didn't work for Richie Garcia last week, of course. So maybe it's if coming. it's working in a fortnight it eventually cycle, eventually gets random. Well, yeah. it will. Always, always will. All right, Willem. Okay, great start, mate. Um, bumper first hour. We're going to have an equally big second hour. Uh, soccer is Matilda Central after the break. We're going to talk to Amy Lawrence from The Athletic about Arsenal. Matty Ryan will find out uh, if he's a real chance of re- reviving his career there. We'll talk Europe and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. That's all after the news on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and absolutely fantastic. Well, we hope you enjoyed the first hour of Box to Box. We've got a big one coming up for you in the second second edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly then the Athletics' Amy Lawrence to talk Arsenal. I know Derek and Michael have been waiting for a long time for this one to happen. Amy is the doyen of Arsenal football writers and she's going to join us to talk Matt Ryan, to talk Mesut Ozil, to talk about the Norwegian Messi and has the thing turned around, the big ship turned around at Arsenal. We're also going to talk plenty of Europe with Dino and Dell, wrap it up with stoppage time with a special topic on club legends when they coach in it. It all goes sour. But Willem, you got a stack more news for us? I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green God Army to start. Make sure you're among the first to know when international football returns and supporting the Socceroos and Matildas around the world can once again become reality. Sign up to the mailing list at ggatravel.com.au. Ellie Carpenter has become the youngest winner of the AFC Women's Player of the Year Award, still just 20. She was selected ahead of Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford and Japan's Saki Kumagai for her 2020 calendar year with clubs and country. She also enjoyed another fine week on the pitch, playing the full match as Lyon brushed aside Laura Brock's Guingamp 5-0. Also in France, Mary Fowler played the first 68 minutes for Montpellier in a nil-all draw, while in Italy, Alexandra Huynh picked up important points for Napoli. Not a name we hear a lot of, Alexandra. To the UK, the FA Women's Super League, if it's not COVID-19, it's been frozen pitches and, uh, and snowfall. A whole bunch of matches were called off, but on Thursday morning, Chelsea managed to finally get on against Aston Villa. Sam Kerr opened the scoring within three minutes, and they went on to a 4-0 win. To the gents, Daniel Arzani's dreary stint at Utrecht has come to an end. He's joined AGF Aarhus on loan. That's his third loan from Manchester City, and Michael, that's a club where numerous Aussies have found success. And with respect, Utrecht and Celtic, also clubs where Aussies have found respect, but surely this time. Come on, Daniel. Yeah, we've talked about him a lot over the last three weeks as he's been looking for a place to land to 
give him match time. Um, as we know, uh, he needs match time. Uh, nothing's changed in the past week. He's just landed at a club that has an affinity and, more importantly, an understanding of Australian footballers. And I'm sure that environment, with having uh, two other fellow Aussies uh, at the club, uh, is going to help Daniel settle in and hopefully play his best football and see him back in Socceroos reckoning. Another winger, Matt Leckie, saw some rare game time for Hertha Berlin. He came on at halftime in a match. They eventually lost 4-1. Another one who I think probably needs to leave. It's, it's quite unpredictable and quite random when he floats in and out for game time at the moment. He's on a whopping contract there, and okay. uh, I imagine that's the reason he hasn't left. But Matt Leckie, yeah, he's a quality player. We know he's in the best three or four Socceroos when he's going well, so uh, let's hope he gets some more time. Over to Greece, Jimmy Jago and Aris steadied the ship with a 1-0 win. They're back up to second place. Well, in the second division, the Xanthi boys had a one-all draw with Levadia. Arcos. Jackson Irvine played a full match in midfield for Burnian. They went down to the all-conquering Rangers 1-0. And over in Korea, Harrison Delbridge's move to Incheon has been finalised. So good luck to Harrison there. Staying in Asia, I want to have a look at the Asian Champions League groups, which have been assigned throughout the week. Sydney FC have drawn a bit of a doozy. They've got John Book Motors and Gamba Osaka, as well as Singapore's Tampine Rovers in Group H. Uh, we've only got one proper slot at the moment, so two sides have to go through qualifiers, which is a real blow for Australian sides in the Champions League. Man City are going to have to be, oh, Melbourne City, excuse me, are going to have to go through Myanmar's Shan United and possibly Adam Taggart and Sirio Azaka to make Group J. And Brisbane Raw need to play Filipino side Kaya FC Ilo Ilo and Beijing FC to reach their group. And Mitch Langerak at Nagoya has been drawn Jiangsu FC, Johu Darul Tazim of Malaysia, and a play-off qualifier. That is a real blow that we've only got one guaranteed slot, but you would hope that maybe Osaka will be the sticky one for Melbourne City, but you'd hope both sides could get through. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will continue to tempt fate regarding his position at Manchester United. They've passed up a golden chance to return to the top of the table and have turned in a 2-1 shocker to Sheffield United. The bottom-placed Blades took the lead at Old Trafford through Keane Bryan on 23 minutes and again through Oliver Burke and after Harry Maguire's equaliser. Rob, sums up Manchester United of the past 12 to 18 months just as you think they're going to consolidate uh, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be safe. They throw up something like that. Only they could end a 12-game unbeaten run with a loss to the bottom side at home. Yeah, it's almost comedic, isn't it? Uh, it was a great morning to, to listen to um, the BBC live coverage as they were going around the grounds and, uh, you know, they were going to the Scottish Premiership and hearing updates on uh, Jackson Sabernian. But but then as that result became apparent, I mean, when Harry Maguire scored that equaliser, you thought, OK, it's set to rights. They'll, uh, they'll probably put two or three in the uh, in the back of the net and, uh, and you know, it'll be uh, what a nearly kind of story that it could have been if Sheffield United got the job done, but it was uh, it was amazing uh, the uh, the reaction of of the broadcasters at the end. Uh, you know, it was just roll your eyes stuff uh, because uh, you know we're all daring to dream that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to turn into the manager that um, you know the nice guy manager that we mm. all want to see. You know, someone who uh, who's a, a club legend yes. who <laughs> does work out well for. We'll discuss that later on. But uh, no, the uh, uh, Pep, there's a great um, meme of Pep that go, goes around with him on the sideline. You don't see Pep smile very often, but it's him sort of folding his arms and rolling his eyes up and grinning as if to say, what the... Arsenal have signed Norwegian wonderboy Martin Odegaard from Real Madrid on loan for the rest of the season. Madrid blocked Odegaard's desire or want to return to Real Sociedad, where he spent a previous loan spell, wanting him instead to move to a Premier League club. The 22-year-old famously debuted for Norway aged 15 in 2014 and signed for Madrid a year later. He's pretty much my age, Martin. I remember Mm. when I was bumming around year 10 at McKinnon's secondary with my mates. This guy was playing for Real Madrid. Pretty incredible. But he's at a bit of a, a critical juncture. Is he going to kick on and play a career that it would suggest you should when you sign for Madrid at that age or is he going to be 
another one of the litany of uh, what that guy could have been. They've sort of tagged him the Norwegian Messi, haven't they? So um, he's got uh, a few reps on him and he wouldn't have been signed by those clubs without uh, absolute talent or a very good manager. I'd say it's absolute talent. Uh, and we'll have to wait and see, won't we, Rob? Gentlemen, we're going to wrap it up there because after the break, we are very much looking forward to talking to Amy Lawrence. Derek is sitting there on the bench, very eager. He used to sit next to her at Highbury, um, and we're interested to know whether she remembers him uh, because she used to walk past Heck him. Heck, she uh, not the baby-faced Derek. Exactly. He tells me he looked like a punk back in those days. He sent that photo to us again. He did look like a bit of an angry man. No, anyway, baby-faced. He looked like he would need a fly. Okay, Amy Lawrence from The Athletic. We're talking Arsenal after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of yes, all. This is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It's been a busy show so far. Talk to Henry Winter off the top about the uh, European Super League. You, Liam Toomey about... Uh, around uh, the story of Frank Lampard. But uh, from a, a domestic point of view, one of the big stories in football was when Matt Ryan uh, was signed up on a loan deal with Arsenal. And I guess we've uh, read her co- copy from afar for, for many, many years. And uh, we welcome her to the show from The Athletic, Amy Lawrence. How are you, Amy? Hi, I'm not so bad, thanks. How's it going over there? Yeah, it's not too bad, Amy. Um, well, we broadcast from Melbourne where we went through a pretty hard lockdown, as you know, and uh, we understand uh, that uh, you uh, guys are battling through it as well, so we, we wish you luck, but at least we've got the... Uh, <laughs> Thank you. ...the bread and circuses, don't we, Amy? Uh, you know, uh, the people are able, at least able to watch the football, so, uh, um, and uh, and we're, we're grateful that you've jumped on, but we've got a couple of Arsenal fans who are just champing at the bit to, to jump on board soon. Uh, one of them uh, used to sit uh, not far from you uh, at Highbury in the old days um, and Excellent. He, I think he might tell that story Derek will jump on after me but but just before we get into the real meat of the Arsenal story the Matt Ryan uh, signing uh, for us that's a big deal uh, we were all very disappointed that he was on the outer at, uh, at Brighton and then for him to, to bounce back and get a, a contract uh, at Arsenal was was huge news. Yeah, I mean, not being a, a massive expert uh, on Mattis Brighton, I must admit, even I was slightly bewildered as to quite where he'd got to and what had happened to him down there, because he certainly seemed to, have, when he first came to the club, been uh, been superb for, for Brighton uh, in the main. And um, I think it was a case of uh, just the, the right people at the right time, probably for all concern. And Arsenal, I think everybody recognised fairly urgently that uh, the the young lad that came in from I- Iceland, um, Alex Renarsson, uh, needs a bit of time, let's just say. And um, the idea that something might happen to Bert Leno and put him out of the team for a long period of time was quite scary. So getting a, a, a Premier League-ready goalkeeper was uh, a high priority. And just the icing on the cake, really, is the fact that it, clearly means a lot to Matt Ryan and I find the kind of general discourse about overseas fans versus local fans quite an interesting one and you sometimes hear people going well if you know you don't live five seconds from Highbury and you can't walk to Mm -hmm. the stadium what kind of fan are you and I really detest that attitude to be honest I do not believe that anybody regardless of distance, is more or less of a fan. If you have that feeling in your heart, if you want to get up and watch your team or or do what, or care about your team or think about your team or read and listen about your team, it doesn't matter where you are. I mean, physically, you're the lucky ones if you can go. But my admiration for people getting up at stupid o'clock to watch, you know, what might sometimes be a dreadful game um, 
is is massive. So when he came out and said, oh, I used to get up at four in the morning and, and watch Arsenal, I, I just, I really hope he gets a chance to play. Clearly he's coming in as a, a number two, so that can be tough for a goalie. But I think... It, from an emotional point of view, it would be just a great thing for him, and I, and I hope he enjoys every minute. I think that's right, Amy. I think as fans, sometimes you know, when we think about the evolution of Arsenal over the years in terms of the local players and then the international players, sometimes there's that loss of connection with the team. So it is lovely to see someone that really wants to play for us coming into the team. And he joins uh, Odegaard, who did need a bit of convincing from Mikel Arteta, by the sounds of it, and the squad, including young players like Tierney. Etc. It's really starting to freshen up now, and some of those remnants of the Wenger, the like the late Wenger uh, and Emery era, kind of moving on. Are you feeling a lot more comfortable, comfortable and confident about this squad? It's funny you should say that, but I was only thinking the other day how it's really beginning to feel like you know that fresh chapter where there's so few remnants now of of the Wenger era and. The kind of general confusion of that um, handover period to Emery. Uh, now that that's been and done, and it, you know, sometimes unfortunately you have to go through a tricky one like that. But they started to make changes. It's interesting that quite a lot of those guys are are not faring that well. I mean, clearly they they brought in when uh, for Emery's first season, Leno, who we just talked about, but also Torreira, Ganduzi, um, uh, Pepe coming in, and not all of them have clearly been. Uh, great success story. Socrates has just left, but the, the the Wenger players. I mean, you're looking at Xhaka, and uh, after that, uh, Bellerin being around as well from the club at that era. There's so much newer um, blood, um, which probably was needed because I think everybody knows that there needed to be some kind of cultural shift. I suppose from the the tail end of such a long period of Wenger where so much amazing memories were made and then things got tougher um, and people became a bit used to things, which is normal with anything that goes on and on and on. So it's taken a while and it's still I think there's still a quite a long while to go, to be honest. But the players you mentioned bring this natural energy. Uh, Kieran Tierney, um, he's like a throwback watching him. He's like a Nigel Winterburn or a Lee Dixon who played with, you know, so much courage and heart and determination. Saka and Smithrow coming in are fantastic. It's exciting to see how Erdogan gets in and if he sticks around longer than these next few months. Thomas Partey is already showing what a difference it makes to have a midfield player who who can really control that period of the pitch. So yeah, things are looking up, but there's, you know, there's still a way to go. This is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS and we're talking to Amy Lawrence from The Athletic about all things Arsenal. Uh this week saw the departure of Lampard, uh, Amy, and that drew some stark comparisons with Arsenal's position on Arteta, obviously two club legends, cutting their teeth in management. The uh, Arsenal hierarchy isn't well liked by the fans, but are you happier that the club is sticking with a manager rather than the Russian roulette that goes on in uh, mm-hmm. West London? Look, it's <laughs> I guess it's horses for courses. I mean, the Russian roulette has given them a lot of trophies over the years. You know, there have been occasions, I definitely remember when Ancelotti was sacked a while ago at Chelsea and he just won the double and you think, really? I mean, it, it's it's a tough gig um, over there to, to, be, to have longevity. And Arsenal come from a different stylistic place. You know, longevity is something that they care about. But in the end, 
when you look at the the club and you look at the business they have to try and be a little bit more successful than knocking around in kind of mid-table and scraping into the Europa League, as has been the case in really you know more years than they would have cared for once things started to dip into that kind of territory. Obviously, the FA Cup wins are always you know really lovely, but there's no doubt when you speak to the hierarchy at the club, they want something more than that. And so there's a there's a balancing act. How do you try and be successful and is patience the answer in modern football? Um, there are different ways of doing things, and Arsenal made it really clear they back Arteta. In fact, he went on such a dreadful run, and the noise was really growing. Um, but I don't think there was a second hesitation from Arsenal where they were really looking at it, thinking we should be making a few phone calls here and seeing who might be interested. I think their commitment to Arteta, the way they changed his job title to make him manager, the way they regard him as someone to look after the whole club and not the team you can debate the wisdom of that whether that's too much for one man in modern football but that's what they wanted to almost reward him with they felt uh, so much that he was the right guy I still think they've got a bit of work to do to pay, maybe put the right things around him so that he can really bring the, the team and himself forward and also there's no question he's had hard lessons that he's learned so far and I'm very fascinated to see how much he's learnt those lessons. You know, the handling of Mesut Ozil, but also someone, a young player of some talent like Ganduzi, you know, the guys that uh, he decides he, he, you know, man management-wise, he just doesn't want around the place. Or, um, you know, some of, some of those decisions, the harsh decisions he's had to make, um, it's really going to be interesting to see if he if he takes that forward and thinks, right, Maybe I got that wrong. I'm going to do this differently from now on. Because he's learning all the time, we hope. Amy, um, things change in football. Um, 20 years ago, I can't imagine a, a captain of a Premier League club taking two matches away to look after his ill mother or have a role in doing that. What do you think it says about Arsenal um, and football more generally that uh, Aubameyang has been able to step away and, and take take on that role with his with his mother and I assume um, uh, come back into the fold and, and play a big part against Manchester United in the coming week? Personally, I think that, thank God, football is opening up to be a bit more human. Um, the You know, I, I think, I do know a lot of people that would disagree with me wholeheartedly about this and say, come on, your professional team comes first. But I think... Yeah, footballers are footballers and they're earning lots of money, but they are also human beings who go through the same horrible stuff that most of us have to face at different points of our life. And uh, anybody who's had a hard time, who's been lucky enough that, you know, maybe people they work with or other walks of life have been kind to them and showed them generosity to uh, look after the important things in life, will recognise how invaluable that is. And I'm quite proud really that Arsenal would say yeah off you go if you need to be there be there I mean it's uh if there was a if there was grave danger for somebody's mother then you have to cut them some slack I think if you're uh if you've got sort of a bit of soul and about you and actually you say 20 years ago this kind of thing wouldn't happen I one thing about Wenger that I will always say uh was almost to a fault he put the human being first at times almost to his own detriment um and he was very caring about 
how his players were in their lives and if they needed something. And I think sometimes you get repaid by that. Amy, it, it's so well said that it's the, the, the loyalty that you show. And then that's, uh, you know, you would think that that's not the reason they're doing it, obviously. But um, when uh, when someone does that sort of thing for you, um, then it's inevitable that you, you're going to have a, a real sense of loyalty and wanting to do the right thing in return. So, uh, you know, watch out Aubameyang when he comes back. Uh, I reckon we're going to see some of, of the best of him. And uh, a couple of human beings that you have to look after and put first, uh, some young uh, individuals <laughs> who need some homeschooling right now by the sake of it. Oh, God. I'd much rather talk to you, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'll let Derek say goodbye because he was that one that Listen, used to sit next it's, to you. Listen, it's, it's football or kinetic energy. I mean, come on. Well, stay with where, us where, then, Amy. Where would I <laughs> We've got all the time in the world. Go on, throw, throw one more question. <laughs> okay, Derek, what do you got, mate? All right, Amy, I used to sit on the same row as you in the clock end at Highbury. Oh, uh, in fact, you used to yes. walk past me. I was on the... As you turn left coming up the stairs, I was... One of the first people you walked past on the way down. I was a grumpy teenager back then. Now I'm a grumpy adult. Um, <laughs> what are your reflections on Highbury sort of 15 years on and the transition to the Emirates? And what do you think we can do to actually, you know, make that feel more like home? Wow. Um, I've got shivers down my spine just you mentioning that. I would, I, I, there was not enough money in the world for me to fund a time machine to take me back to the clock end. Um, I loved that place. I It was like a religious experience for me. And it was such a huge part. Highbury was such a huge part of being an Arsenal fan. It, it was almost a personification thing going on. It was almost like the ground had a personality and a character and a soul that gave you something extra when you went there. It wasn't just going to support the team and going to watch the football. It was about being in this special place. It had magic in the walls. And I, I miss it every day i miss i miss it like hell every match day whenever i go uh, walk across one of the big sort of widest of motorway bridges to get um get towards the podium level at the new stadium i'm so conscious that it doesn't feel anything like turning down um and seeing avenel road from the top of the hill full of people and noise just kind of mingling outside the the, the entrance to the marble halls and you could access the East and the clock end and the North bank from that road. And so it was always a hubbub of kind of great excitement and activity. And your question about how you can make it feel more like home, I think is an interesting one, because I think to the younger generation who never went to Highbury, it's home and that's fine. And it's only us old fogies <laughs> who will always struggle with it. And I think it, I'm not sure it'll ever really feel like home because we had the best home ever. And um, we were lucky enough to experience that. Um, and, the, and, and the match day, you know, doesn't feel the same. It's impossible. Highbury was so tight and close. You know, you felt like you were almost on the pitch. You could almost hear the players shouting at each other or see their spit or, you know, slight elbows or whatever, just from the stands, not from any close-ups. You've... You felt much more, I think, connected and much more part of it somehow. But football was different there. Was it much more, it was a more, um, I don't know. It's not like people didn't have pressure or didn't care. But I think it. I think there was less negativity than you get nowadays around football. So it was a, maybe a slightly healthier and slightly funner environment. Um, and that's probably something that's difficult to retrieve. But I'm interested to see how it is when fans get to go back and this is not just an Arsenal specific thing obviously this is any 
club. Um, but, you know, having missed the experience of being in grounds, even though people have had their fix through the telly of, of watching games, uh, keeping up with it, I got a flavour with the Europa League game, which was one of the two matches that Arsenal had uh, with 2,000 fans in um, before the latest lockdown started again. And it was electric, which sounds ridiculous with 2,000 people, but just like being able to retouch those sentiments of being part of a crowd, even if it was a small one, and people shouting and singing and laughing and making jokes... It was magnificent. And I, I think certainly for a small period of time when fans are coming back in, hopefully with more numbers, um, there'll be a, a, you know, like a honeymoon period maybe of just the joy of being there again. I'm not sure it'll last that long if, you know, David Luiz makes a terrible mistake <laughs> and gives away a stupid penalty and gets sent off or what have you or someone misses a great chance to score against Tottenham or whatever it might be. Everyone's going to go ranting and raving again or having a go at the ref. But for hopefully for a while, we can reconnect with those feelings of being part of it again. Yeah, so well said, Amy. And uh, hopefully it's not too far away. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a real uh, delight talking to you. Um, back to the kids now. Nice. Good luck. Um, and, <laughs> Thanks uh, a lot. Yeah, hopefully uh, one day down the track we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Great stuff. Take care, all of you. Not at all. Amy Lawrence talking Arsenal from The Athletic. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. All right, we're going to keep talking Europe after the break. Stick around on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial Welcome back to Box to Box. It was a lovely chat with Amy Lawrence from The Athletic just there. I'm sure the boys will uh, still be... Uh, on uh, seventh heaven, pink cloud. What four are we four points about? behind yeah. Liverpool, Rob. In case you didn't know. Oh yeah. Well, if I got an, um, you know two or three mentions um, a day on you, that would be being conservative. Just so letting well, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Just a remember uh, revenge. Just because I'm, yeah, I'm that sort of guy. I'm just. Sort of, oh, I know. I know you're that sort of guy. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I sure do know you, Michael. But uh, enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, look, before I uh, hand uh, it over to Derek and Dino, uh, I want to talk about Storage King because it is a great time to be involved in storage if you are decluttering if you're moving if you're renovating you need to call storage king now because if when you store before the 15th of february you'll get one month storage free we've been telling you for a couple of weeks now one month free at storage king visit storageking.com.au to find your nearest store and let storage king give you back some space conditions do apply storage king they are the kings of storage moving and more it's that time of year the kids are going back to school you want to get rid of some of this stuff maybe when they're at school Store it, Storage King, and they won't even know it's gone. Derek, as we fade out from Storage King, it's uh, a full slather of uh, football Europe style. Where are you going to start us? Yes, Rob, as usual, we'll try and cram a whole podcast into one segment, uh, and, we will, uh, and we will start with the FA Cup, and we're going to talk about a mixed week for Man- Manchester United, Dino. We'll get to the Premier League a little later, but um, the, their match versus Liverpool was a terrific game, and... Uh, United thoroughly deserved that win. Superb game, you're quite right. Plenty of goals, five goals, and uh, I, I think definitely Man United deserved to win it. Uh, but as you say, it's been a bit of a mixed week, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been for them. Um, and of course, City, they've had a very good week because they, of course, uh, avoided a scare against Cheltenham uh, in the FA FA Cup. But um, a great goal from Alfie May for Cheltenham. And tell us about defending long, long throws, Dino. Well, 
you've just got to defend them right. You've got to get one in front and one in behind them and make sure you win your challenge. I don't know if you saw, but Pep Guardiola was uh, doing his best to get in the way of uh, Toza, who was <laughs> throwing the ball in. And he, he did it, but incidentally, did a brilliant uh, goal line clearance as well. So I felt like this had the magic of the FA Cup in it because Cheltenham uh, in League Two, very unfancied. And 3 1, I think that's a very. Um, commendable uh, performance. Um, lots of other games of interest, but the one I really want to pick out, Dino, was the one that happened most recently and Bournemouth edging past Crawley and on the the goal sheet was one Jack Wilshire. Are you uh, pleased for the lad? I am, yeah. Like I, I was always a big fan of Jack and for some reason, uh, I don't know whether he lost his way or people lost his way with him, but... Uh, Great to see him back. Uh, he was an unbelievable talent in the kid and good, a good pro for a long time. But then all of a sudden, it, it's just... And I, I think there's a few injuries as well in there in the mix. But, um, yeah, look, it's great to see him back as a fabulous player. Look, a relatively uneventful fourth round in the sense of no major shocks there, Dean. And we go on to the fifth round in early February. Uh, some of the ties include uh, Swansea against Manchester City. Uh, yeah. Leicester will play Brighton. United will take on a resurgent West Ham and we'll get on to them. Um, and, and um, yeah, Sheffield United will play Bristol City. So, look, a few games there. But talking about Manchester United's uh, mixed week, I mean, you wouldn't have picked that result this morning, would you, against Sheffield United? No, look, I watched it first half, and um, and for me, um, I thought Sheffield fully deserved, uh, you know, um, where they were. I mean, I, I mean, I, think, I can't remember now whether it was, I think it was equalised, possibly. I'm not sure. The second half, um, I, I mean, I've obviously got to work, and then all of a sudden, we know it's uh, it's like the results, and it's an unbelievable result. I mean, you just could not figure that out. I mean. I mean, I don't know what the odds were before the game, but what a great win. And, and could that be the kickstart Sheffield United need to get out of this? Rob, I know you like a narrative. Maybe the one we should get behind is can Sheffield United stay up? Do they have any chance in your eyes? Well, we're at that midway point of the season, so... Whilst you know the the dreaded mathematic po- mathematical possibility exists, um, we can't see why not. I mean, Chris Wilder has got uh, a real um, camaraderie going on at that club, and as we've discussed in the past, uh, the uh, they're one club that's suffered more than any from the lack of atmosphere and fans. So, you know, I wouldn't count them out entirely. I mean, if they can beat uh, Manchester United, then they're capable. It'll give them a massive amount of confidence. So, yeah, I'd say they're uh, a puncher's chance. City, obviously, the big winners this week, a 5-0 um, crushing of West Brom and another bad result for Sam, another big, heavy defeat. But Gundogan looks class. Cancelo looks uh, class. What do you think of Gundogan, Dino? That's a, just a, you know, from a bits and pieces squad player to star of the team. No, he is. He is. And, uh, you know, and with no De Bruyne either. I mean, you're just going, oh, well, we don't need him for a bit. We'll give him a break. And... Uh, and he's been fabulous, yeah. And and for me, Man City were always... I mean, it was a slow start. It was a bit of a slow burn. But, I mean, for me, Pep Guardiola done it everywhere he's ever been. So, uh, I'm not I'm not surprised. But, I mean, they're sitting there top of the league. So, uh, it's been a fabulous run. Yeah, well, look, they're looking very, very good, let's say. Um, Chelsea's Thomas Tuchel's reign got on to a... Frustrating start against Wolves. That was a bit of a drab game, and Wolves are not in particularly brilliant form either. So I think there's a lot for uh, 
Tuchel to to work on there. Um, yeah. Edge, we kind of got one right, got one wrong with Arsenal Southampton. We thought they might come <laughs> unstuck in the in the in the FA Cup, but that was a good win uh, a couple of nights ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very good win, and um, they're getting some momentum, aren't they? And starting to look more consistent and uh, what I would call dependable. Um, really great news, uh, transfer news during the week. Um, not only um, because the Norwegian Messi has come into the squad, but uh, Matty Ryan as well. Um, he'll put uh, some competitive pressure on the for the first place in the in the side as well. And uh, you know, you know that I rate Matty has been a, a world class goalkeeper. So that's a that's only a good a good signing. So yeah, there's a lot to look forward to, and uh, maybe maybe Derek the resurgence has begun. Absolutely. The squad definitely has a fresher look to it without Ozil, um, uh, Socrates, uh, Colosinac, and some of the players from the Wenger era that are moving away and some young players coming in, as you said. Dino, let's quickly talk about West Ham. They've literally just gone totally under the radar. And uh, they, were in, they were in fourth at one point. And a 20 million signing, who I've been keeping an eye on, Thomas Suchek, with two goals. That's, he's an outstanding player and it's an outstanding season from David Moyes. Yeah, look, um, look, he's a good manager, uh, David Moyes, and you know, and it was always, it was always hard for him when he took over from Sir Alex. So, I mean, there was always that was always going to be a, a poison chalice for me. But you know, wherever he's gone after that, he's always been pretty good. And I think, I think the the recipe of the way he he looked likes to play football and West Ham, I think it's in line. And the boy Susek's unbelievable. And uh, he and Rice in the middle are sharing it around one city and one's going. And uh, basically, as soon as they get anything wide, one of them is, you know, charging into the box. And I think it's a really, really exciting time for West Ham. And I, I can actually see them staying up in and around that top six, top seven, possibly, you know, for like the Europa and if not, European place. Derek, it's sort of got the same sort of feel to when Moyes was coaching Everton back in the Tim Cahill era that they just used to, you know, they were just were very workmanlike and they, they had a little bit of quality, but he just got results and they were never beaten at home. And um, it's just got that sort of ring to it this season with West Ham. He just continues to, to grind out results so with, it, with a team that you don't really expect can do that. No, I think he's done exceptionally well because it's not all there for him at West Ham. There's a poor stadium in the sense of the atmosphere, not the same as Goodison Park. He has to deal with um, a management system there that signs kind of big, big name players and often players that are quite past it. But Moyes has got his little system in place now where he's picking up the likes of Suchek for £20 million, which, you know, is an absolute steal in today's market. And, and uh, yeah, really getting his net scouting network out there. So I think, you know, much derided for his Manchester United era and some of his other work, but he's definitely now back with a bang. Uh, coming up this weekend, Dino, quickly, I think probably the tie of... The round, there's a couple there, Arsenal versus Manchester United and also West Ham versus Liverpool. How big is that West Ham-Liverpool game? Well, I mean, Liverpool obviously not in the best of form. I know they've got that game in hand, so I guess that's some relief if, if they weren't to get a big result, let's say a draw. But yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure on Liverpool and uh, and their form isn't good. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that... Um, uh, and going actually to the to the other game, um, for me, Arsenal, Man United, um, I mean, in the past, they've been some fabulous when it was Wenger and uh, Ferguson and, you know, the Roy Keane and 
and and you can go on and on about that that rivalry and um, and and I think look Arsenal definitely have got a right good consistency now so I think this could be another slippery one for United even though they're really good playing away from home. Thanks, Dino. That wraps up the FA Cup and the Premier League. And as we have a look around Europe, um, Rafa Benitez is now available uh, after leaving his Chinese club, but he won't be going to Celtic or a return to Newcastle United, according to uh, uh, some reports. And uh, just got a a good one for you, Rob. Uh, Hertha Berlin discarded their manager this week this week his name um was bruno labadia and he found out live on television uh so he was being interviewed after a game uh and the uh journo just said to him oh the german newspaper build have just said that you've been sacked and uh yeah he took it very well but but what a way to find out that you no longer have a job Oh God, better than Twitter, but uh, <laughs> I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to yeah, interpret his relax. Or as Tony Sage did with Perth Glory, he just put a Facebook post out. Yeah, exactly. You're well, uh, not getting paid next week. Oh God. <laughs> All right, boys, stick around. Uh, we've got a fun uh, little yarn with uh, stories around legends who have uh, not worked out at their former club uh, to round it up in stoppage time. It's been a, a good fun show so far. So, Dano and Del, stick right where you are, and we'll come back to you after the break. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. This is stoppage time. The fourth official has given us eight minutes to wrap it up. What's been a very, very busy show, and uh, in the spirit of the Frank Lampard departure from Chelsea, you don't get uh, a bigger legend than him at Stamford Bridge. We wanted to reflect on some of the club legends um, in football who uh, had uh, wonderful careers. Uh, were fated by the fans and the clubs and the the media, but uh, when they were meant to come back and be the golden child and rectify, um, say, a a relegation battle or or fight for the top uh, of the... um the competition that they were in, it didn't work out. And uh, Derek, um, this was uh, one that you tossed up as an idea. And I I know you've got a few up your sleeve. Yeah, I just felt it's a really interesting subject matter because football, even though it's a business like any other, it's a very irrational business. So, you know, you just find the the approach to appointing a manager is just nothing like anything else in the world of work. There's so many different facets and reasons why. And people often get jobs when they're either not ready for them or, or, or for sentiment or whatever. So, you know, with Frank Lampard, you know, he took the job. He's a club legend at Chelsea. He's the top goal scorer. He's the most decorated player in the Cubs' history. And, and uh, you know, it was as big a risk for it as it was for him as it was for Chelsea, um, even though they saw that as a safe time given their transfer ban. So it, it, can, it can have a good effect and it can have a bad effect. And I think most teams are trying to emulate the Guardiola effect you know that's the ultimate isn't it the club legend who then becomes the the most legendary manager in the club's history um so that's an example of one that's gone well and you can look at play, like Zidane obviously as well but the one I wanted to talk about from my point of view was uh, Thierry Henry because he was being linked with the Arsenal job for some time and I did not want that to happen I really did not want that to happen I'd not because just because he had no manager pedigree whatsoever but because I just was so worried about his legacy and he ended up going to Monaco and he's a bit of a legend there and it and, and it blew up for him and uh, I don't know where his coaching career now is so I don't think it's always a good idea and if I throw to you Rob I'd say 
Would you ever want Steven Gerrard as the Liverpool manager? Well, I think he's inevitably going to become the Liverpool manager the way he's going at Rangers. And but he's still in, the right, he's still in a, an apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unlike Frank Lampard, who Correct. had he had his time again. Uh, you know, uh, despite the uh, you know the um, the promotion run that they they made at Derby, uh, um, he just obviously went a little bit too early. Uh, so I think to that one, Derek, provided he continues the apprenticeship, the answer is yes. The one that I had up my sleeve, and I know um, Dino has got a, a Liverpool legend, which I'm going to reserve for him. Uh, is Alan Shearer. I mean, you don't get a bigger legend than Alan Shearer at Newcastle. Uh, you know, he was a lethal striker with both club and country. Yeah, went well, didn't he? And, yeah, well, um, look, he, he went into punditry after he retired in 2006 and uh, and when the Magpies asked him to uh, to step up to the plate in 2009 to, to fight relegation, uh, he uh, he took uh, the um, responsibility on and uh, it was an eight-game reign, a very short one, uh, and Newcastle slipped out of uh, the top flight after being beat one uh, nil by Aston Villa on the final day. It was heartbreaking. The scenes at uh, St James's Park uh, um, are, uh, are just uh, terrible, and uh, it's one of those uh, stories where, uh, yeah, he, he fortunately he's got enough brownie points in the bank. But Dino, um, when they use the word legend in football, this is one who uh, you know you'd look up his face in the dictionary, and uh, you'd see it alongside the word. This particular gentleman would be uh, not lost to anybody, but it's uh, Kenny Dalglish, and. Um, an absolute legend, Celtic, uh, from 69 to 77, and then obviously from 77 to 1990, uh, it was Liverpool. And, uh, you know, there were some fabulous days in that era. And then obviously he got into management in 1985 and lasted there. And, and you know, it was reasonably successful. I thought he did a really good job in that period, especially when they had the situation with uh, Hillsborough. I mean, I thought he mm. was unbelievable. He then flies off and um, decides, you know, there's, there's better places to go. So he had a little stint at Blackburn Rovers, Newcastle, went to... A very Celtic good stint at Blackburn Rovers, by the way. Yeah, it was a good stint, a very good stint. Um, I think they won it, didn't they? Yes, they did. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Newcastle, Celtic as a caretaker, then back to Liverpool. And obviously that's where this thing goes a little bit south, where... Everything doesn't really go right, and um, and and, and it really, it was a it was an early exit. And uh, I think he returned in the January of 2011, um, and and then the dismissal of Roy Hodgson becoming the permanent manager in the May of what was that May two, 2011. So what is it four months? So, but he still yeah. got the stand named after him, Dino. So um, he did. yeah, yeah. He so did. he he will he will remain a legend. Uh, Forevermore, that's a great memory of Kenny Dalglish. Now, um, Edge, um, he's uh, he's got uh, his own story to tell. I don't know what it is. Well, um, I just thought like I'd the... go domestically. It'll, it'll be his managerial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my manager. Okay. Yeah, yeah, good one, Dino. Um, <laughs> I, I've got one uh, domestically because <laughs> well this done. bloke was voted. Uh, the most hated man in football five years in a row in England, oh. uh, Kevin Muscat, mm. who came back and did wonderful things on the field for Melbourne Victory, but then slipped into the coaching role. Um, uh, interestingly, because you know the A League is in historical terms really short, mm. but Muskie, um, you know, he's got such a big presence in the A League, doesn't he? And mm. um, we we sort of forget that he's coached for six years Melbourne Victory, mm. and in those six years, they won the Premiership in 2014-15, FA Cup in twenty. 20- 15 the FA Cup, that was good. F- FA Cup in mm-hmm. 2015, and obviously the um, in 2013 the the championship as well. So, um, well done to Kevin Musket because mm. uh, he uh, was a club legend with Melbourne mm. Victory, obviously, and then mm. did a good job of coaching and but sort of 
went out, not all that happy, but went out, didn't he? And, mm. and now he's trying to find his feet in Europe. So Kevin Musk mm. is probably our uh, most successful ex-legend of a club who's coached, mm. would you think, domestically, Dino? Yeah, look, I do. Maybe Ange Postacoglu at South Melbourne. Yeah, Ange, I think Ange was the leader of the But pack. didn't coach, didn't coach at South Melbourne as long as what Muskie did at um, Melbourne Victory, and they um, true, no. and a premiership no, and, and a championship for Muskie versus two championships for Postacoglu. It's pretty similar, isn't it? But Muskie yeah, obviously yeah. a much better player than Ange. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, no, but then again, to be fair to Ange. Uh, he had his cricket, but I tell you what, he was quite consistent. No, no, he's uh, a good player, but I don't think he was in Kevin's league. I mean, I played, I played my second game in a pre-season against him, and and I thought he was good. I thought, mm. oh, I tell you, what, I don't mind him. But <laughs> and, and then when you're talking about that FFA Cup, we got knocked out to Muskie's uh, team in the semi-final. Yes, when you're at him, yes, of course. You know, Jim City, so yeah, that was a fabulous day. And he was really good with us that mm. night. He was. He was fabulous. So yeah. um, um, I, I hope I, for me, I hope, uh, I hope he succeeds and gets another. Oh, there'll be a there'll be a comeback for Muskie in one way or another. Yeah. The career is not over yet. All right, boys, well done. And if you're listening to this and screaming at the radio that we've missed one or two out, just jump on uh, on Twitter and uh, and send us a message and uh, and we but will acknowledge. Willem's been quiet here. Yeah, well, you know, maybe he just doesn't have the, the you know the full uh, back uh, career. Which look, just one name because I do need to wrap this thing up. We are absolutely running against the clock. He's not going to say just who well, was I wasn't going to say anything because I thought it had to be the biggest flops like yeah. poor Frankie Lampard. Well, it was, I didn't yeah. know it could be successful ones. No, well, it was. We go ahead, Kevin Musket. He was. Yeah, yeah, but, but um, he uh, he he was sacked by his Belgian club recently, so I think that's where Edge was going ah, with it as okay. well. Yes. Okay, all right. Um, okay, well we'll park that. Stand by. We are going to wrap this thing up. Dino and Derek, thank you, boys. Thank you. Well, well done. done, boys. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Willem and Rob, Dean and Derek. It's always a pleasure to do this show with you guys, especially yeah. you, you, Willem. Well, especially when you've got oh. uh, people of the stature of Henry Winter, Amy Lawrence, Lemon, Timmy, uh, gracing uh, the, uh, the, the podcast. Just guest for us. <laughs> yeah, no, well, the, the best that there is. And Damien Tardio on the buttons, mate, as you always do a brilliant job. Join us on this show, Box to Box, on NTS 9 Digital Radio News Talk Sport. Next week, when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game. Well done, boys.